Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bridgehead at AM 530 at 1.30 p.m. Now, the interview that we have for you today is, is quite a bit different than most of the other interviews that we've had. See, most of the interviews that I've done, I've tried to find some sort of a historical figure or author, historian, or, or commentator or writer that really shares a lot of insights about the pro-life movement or about the, you know, the, the struggle for human rights in general and how that can be applied to the pro-life movement. But today, I'll be interviewing a, a man that some of you may have heard of because he, he is quite well known. And that man is, is Gavin McInnes, who is a, a writer, a creative director, an actor, and the co-founder of Vice. Now, Gavin McInnes, who's, who's also a comedian, is, is known as a bit of a provocateur um, in media circles, he sparked some sort of a controversy a week or two ago, I noticed, by posting a video called, uh, you know, How to Fight a Baby, where he's wrestling his toddler son. Uh, he, he's known as the godfather of hipsterdom and, and credited with starting the whole hipster movement. He's often interviewed on, on, on Fox News' uh, very high-rated show, The Five, and, and spends a lot of time discussing issues of the day with Greg Gutfeld. He writes for Tacky's Magazine and a number of other publications and also works on television advertising. Well, I stumbled across an article in the Daily Caller just, uh, just a couple of weeks ago that had an extended interview with Gavin McInnes in it. It's called, A Godfather of Hipsterdom, Gavin McInnes Says That Feminism Makes Women Miserable. So I started reading through it, and what sort of jumped out at me very quickly is that Gavin McInnes was an atheist, a pro-choice atheist living in New York and, and sort of living the typical uh, secular urban life when his wife, had, he got married and his wife had a child. And as the result of that experience, he became a pro-life Catholic, but he lives in, a, in, in an area in which abortion is very, very much accepted. As he said in the Daily Caller interview, quote, amongst my peers, abortion is cool. It's like empowering and they make jokes about it. Some of my best friends go, I accept that it's murder and I'm pro-choice. That's the world that I live in. Uh, Gavin McInnes actually recalled a recent party that he was at in which a pregnant woman who was planning to have an abortion the following week was on hallucinogenic mushrooms and everyone was laughing at it. That, says Gavin McInnes, is my universe. So the interview you're about to hear is a lot different than most of the interviews we've aired in the so far as the fact that Gavin McGinnis is, is by no means your typical pro-lifer. His language was often uh, very crude and very profane. His points of view are, are extraordinarily controversial. I didn't agree with everything he said. I disagree with his position on the birth control pill as well as his research stating that very few women have gotten pregnant through uh, through being impregnated by their fathers, so there's unfortunately more cases than, than he cites later on in the interviews. But what Gavin McInnes really symbolized for me is, is, is the same thing that I got out of the interview that I did several weeks ago with, with Kathy Shadle. And that's the fact that many people who were engaged fully in the culture brought about by the sexual revolution, and, and Mr. McInnes describes that quite at length, have realized that most of what they have been sold is a lie. They realize that abortion is a human rights violation that kills a child. They realize that the lies the sexual revolution told them and the promises that the sexual revolutionaries made never materialized. And that this happy life that they were promised wasn't the real one. And they're realizing that things such as having children are far more beautiful, as, as Gavin McInnes says. So while this interview is quite unorthodox... I want you to listen closely to what he says because I think that Gavin McInnes and Kathy Shadle and many more like them symbolize members of a generation who are coming forward and saying, we were lied to. This wasn't true. 
And the generation that I'm part of, Generation Y, the more and more they come into contact with information about abortion are making the same decision and making the same choices. All right, well, uh, thanks so much for being with us. I've been following a lot of your work in, in Tacky's Magazine and elsewhere, and one of the things that I, I really picked up on was that uh, you said that before you, you used to be pro-choice, uh, back in your younger days. Uh, what really changed your mind on that issue? Seeing them come out. Uh, seeing what they do when they come out, you know. It, the example I always use is I have a friend who was, I don't know if she was pro-choice, I assume she was, I live in New York, and I said, she's got two kids, and I said, what would you do if you got pregnant right now? And she goes, lie on the floor and cry for three days. Because she doesn't want another one, right? Right. And you say that to someone who hasn't had kids, and they would just laugh at me. You go, get rid of it. Uh, and I, I honestly believe that I'm not alone on this. When you see a miracle of life, you go, feel totally differently about abortion. I mean, I grew up punk rock where it was cool. It was kind of empowering, and girls would make good jokes about it. Uh, and I know they were traumatized after, but they right. would never show that because that's somehow not empowering. Right. And uh, they would just joke and be flippant and roll their eyes, and that was the sort of the culture I grew up in. And then once I saw what happens when a baby is born and watched a little person you know, become a woman, not a woman, but a girl who texts me and stuff, uh, I realized that it's not the inconsequential thing I was raised to believe. Right, and you, you mentioned you live in, in New York, and New York City has the highest abortion rate, I believe, of anywhere in the U.S., and is this just sort of a pervasive attitude, even among, you know, the, the elites, that just abortion just really isn't a big deal, or is it a pervasive attitude everywhere? It's a pervasive attitude in most big cities in the West, I'd say. I mean, it, it's sort of like gun control, where you just grow up with these givens that guns equal crime, and you don't look up any of the facts, and you just accept it all as true. And you know, we we accept there's a lot of givens with abortion that are not true. Like, oh, there's, there's third-term abortions are incredibly rare, one in a million. Um, and uh, abortions, you're just preventing murderers and you know, crack babies and stuff. It's all these poor single moms in the ghetto who are getting them, and. Uh, Oh, a two-month-old, something in the womb that's two months, but it's nothing. It's just a bean. That doesn't mean anything. You're not killing a human. And you look into all that, and you go, no, two months looks pretty much a human being. Very tiny, but it's got all but there. Right. And it, there's, there's a huge percentage of women, I think it's above 50%, who getting abortions who already have a kid and are in a relationship that just figure they can't afford it or they don't want it or not the time. Right. But the media pushes the poor single mommy trying to get through the day. Uh, and um, it's, a, it's a myth. Another big myth they, they go is they like to focus on it. Also, if a woman gets raped by her father, she should have to keep it. I looked that up. I could only find one case in all of history of this happening. And it was some crazy, you know, black dude in, the, in Philadelphia who you know, it was obviously the most horrible thing in the world, but why are we basing policies on this one freak occurrence? I mean, more people probably had a piano fall on their head. Right, right. So, yeah, legislating from the exception, I believe, is what that one's called. Yeah. Uh, people have, like, 
recently uh, you've, you've you've done a lot of interviews and people have been uh, as as liberals uh, tend tend to be have been very offended by your characterization of radical feminism as something that quote you know makes women miserable even though you've openly stated that your wife's job is more important than yours why do you think that people get so offended by what seems like a pretty anodyne statement but also I also cited a study that proven this that was the Daily Mail covered and it's a well known study and uh, it's just another I mean it's almost a whole article on liberal given just accept the facts like if you want to close down abortion clinics that's the war on women right but more than 50% of women are pro-life so why do you get to why do you get to claim your choice as a female thing you know it's like rape if you include prison men get raped more than women so there's always assumptions that once I say pro-life it means anti-woman but no it's the opposite. I'm defending those women that are pro-life. And, by the way, there's been recent studies that have shown that gender is becoming an issue in abortion. Right. Now, we've seen how well that works out for women, especially in China. Right. They tend to err on the male. So you're trying to prevent the genocide. So, A, when, you, when you're pro-life, you're supporting 50% of the female population. And, B, when you're pro-life, you're discouraging genocide of female babies right but somehow it's sexist right and another thing that's sort of interesting is a lot of the the left-wing uh host tv hosts like bill maher often spend a lot of time making fun of women who stay home and raise their kids uh, like my mom did and uh he you know, i remember he said about ann romney that she'd never done a day of work in her life wouldn't you are like wouldn't it be argued that that's that's a much more sexist thing to say is to take these women that are are sacrificing so much for their own children and claiming that that's somehow not as important as doing whatever else look at his job his job is fun around reading blogs, then he gets advised by people because he's too lazy to do all the research, so they you know, a whole team of researchers, a whole team of writers to help him be witty during this one-hour conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, get paid millions of bucks. So he's a hard worker, he calls that work, and shaping a human life, dealing with discipline, finding the schools, trying to, you know, retain their innocence for as long as you can, trying to... Uh, prolong Santa for as long as you can. All these different things shaping the human mind, keeping them happy, keeping them stimulated, trying to avoid TV. I mean, I could list the things that a mom has to do in one day, all the different things, challenges she has in her job, and it would make my job and most jobs look like completely done. Right. I make commercials for a living. Half of them get thrown in the garbage. Right. And I pitch TV. Half of those shows, those pilots get thrown in the garbage. So I essentially work for the garbage. Right. Whereas your wife is shaping new human lives. Three new human lives from scratch. And keeping them fulfilled, and they worship the ground she walks on. Right. And, you know, they, they, don't, they don't get a lot of TV. Uh, they're, they're all doing well in school, and it's all because of her. Well, why do you think so it I is get, then I that... get angry just talking about it. Right. Why do you think it isn't that women like Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem and, and, and all these third-wave feminist women managed to convince women that something that, that is, is extraordinary was really something that needed to be done away with and that in order for women to be so-called equal, they had to completely uh, destroy the one thing that makes them far more powerful than men, as you've argued? Well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I think with most liberals, their heart is in the right place. But I think Steinem and all these... These anti-women feminists, I call them, are stuck in their mother's past, and they 
probably saw mom who didn't yeah. have the chance to go to the kitchen. Or they saw women who, and there are a percentage of these women, by the way, who just aren't cut up to be moms and should be in the workforce. Mm-hmm. I, I, I throw in a number 10% or less. But uh, they saw that 10% suffer under the guise of uh, women aren't good at work, and they wanted to liberate that tiny percentage. Mm-hmm. Both, they swung the pendulum too far, and now the other 90% feel guilty if they want to do what they want to do, which is stay home and raise kids. And, you know, I honestly saw something in post-controversy that went on recently that was just blew up the internet this year. But I think the reason that's had such a huge impact is because it really resonated. Right. If I had said something totally ridiculous, like black people are bad bartenders. Right. That sentence would come out of his mouth, fall to the ground, and melt in the snow. And you'd never hear it again because it wouldn't resonate. But right. this statement, when I said women are unhappy since feminism, women, would, a lot more women would be happier just staying at home. And they, they, they're, they're all of them are pretending to be happy in the workplace. The reason that exploded is because they all know deep down that it's true. And every time they came back at me, the straw man argument, like, Gavin thinks women are idiots. He wants men to be macho or something stupid like that. Right. And, and one thing you don't see all over the media, because it's mostly shrill, loud, and liberal bloggers, is all the, uh, not hundreds, but dozens of women who contacted me and said, thank you. And even a few who contacted me and said, you're right, I missed my, the boat failed. I missed my chance, and I'm miserable. Right. And I, I think it's, 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 it's very common in the media that the things that resonate the hardest are the things that, that get them the most angry. Uh, um, you've probably seen the controversy, maybe not as much in New York, but it's certainly in certain places in the U.S. and definitely here in Canada. Uh, when pro-life groups display graphic images of what abortion looks like, the, the other side goes completely and totally enraged and shocked and say that it's offensive that you know pictures of a procedure that they champion is being shown to the public that's probably the same phenomenon that you're speaking of here uh, yeah i saw someone trashing a bunch of signs you know thomas Jefferson said there's not a truth existing which i fear or would want unknown to the whole world and i've always said about abortion you're not allowed to be pro something you don't have the stomach to google image right you know no totally like you should eat meat if you're against punching or couldn't have the thought of doing it yourself and you can't, you can't be for an act that is, that you can't even look at. Right, right. You know, they, they tell us that it's not a human being, and you look at a, a, a fourth trimester, a third, what is it, a late trimester, third trimester abortion, right? Right. Uh, and you see those going on, and you, you know, it's a horror movie. Here's one thing I like to do to pro-choicers is just take baby steps. I mean, they go over the dad rape you thing. They go over to me as extreme. Just try to get them down to two months. Right. And in, what, in my world here in New York, that's a feat. That takes some work. Right. Get them first, first to say their term abortions are wrong. Right. A feat. And then once you get to that, then, and then you start working on the other end, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, doesn't the morning after pill sort of negate this whole thing? I mean, say she was raped. Say... She had a horrible experience. Say she changed her mind. Take the morning after pill. How do you not know that this just happened to you? Right. Now, a lot of, I'm Catholic, and a lot of Catholics are against the morning after pill. I don't know where you stand on it. But I feel like if you're pro-morning after pill, it almost negates the whole debate. 
Right, to a degree, yeah, of course, um, with, with the entire abortion debate. Uh, with, with, with the human rights position that our pro-life group takes and a lot of other ones do is simply that human beings have human rights. To find out where human rights begin, we simply need to look at where, uh, where human life begins. And if they don't have the right to life, that sort of makes all the other rights that we talk about completely uh, redundant. So for us, it's, just, it's a scientific question, and then you apply human rights to something that science tells us, and, and bingo, you've got it, right? So when somebody says, well, we don't know where life begins, a 12-week fetus isn't a human life yet, when you said 12 weeks, you admitted you know when it did begin, because 12 weeks from what, right? They've implicitly admitted that they, they know when life begins, but they're just ignoring that because it's not convenient for their abortion worldview. Yeah. So just we have another one uh, on on Tacky's magazine to to play into the whole gender roles fight that seems to be happening. Um, ever since you made a few comments, and there's quite a number of other writers that have been weighing in recently, and I've been reading a lot of that with with quite a bit of interest. And you've also written that you know pop culture has essentially castrated modern masculinity to a large degree. Um, do you think that this has a lot to do with the fact that you know a lot of men seem to just sort of abdicate the position willingly and blame third wave feminism, or do you think that other cultural attitudes maybe have, have played into this a bit. I think a lot of men are acting like they're, they're pro-feminism and being beta males because tough women told them to. Right. Uh, but it goes against all their instincts. And the funny part is, women don't like that. Even the tough feminists who said they did. And you'll see, I remember growing up like punk rock and going to these anarchist gatherings in the teenage, really strident feminists. And their boyfriends were always really tough, scary dudes who didn't treat them great. Right. And it was like they needed someone tougher than them to keep them in line. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's what I observe. And I, I think the funny thing, and this is true of a lot of liberal ethos, they're pushing an agenda they don't even believe themselves. Right. Like, if you're so into uh, multiculturalism, why do all your kids go to all-white schools? Why don't you live in the ghetto? Right. You know? Right. Uh, if, if, if stripping is so empowering, then why doesn't your daughter go strip? Right. Why do you have a problem when that happens? Right. So you're saying that these standards are sort of are sort of pushed in a very uh, well. Some people would say libertine. Some people would say libertarian. I guess it depends on which view you take on that. But when push comes to shove, and they're asked what they would want for their own kids, they promptly reject it. described like 1990s college hookup culture and it hasn't changed a whole lot since then of course but when you say that you know you're raising beautiful daughters I assume that once you get married and you get a different outlook you probably don't want your daughters around that no no and I mean I'm not a snob I like 
I like ghetto rap and punk rock and all that stuff. But uh, I don't. I think that uh, stripping is degrading to women. I think it's a sad life. I know. I've seen it. Um, it's it's sort of like boxing. Right. You know, Mike Tyson is a great fighter, and it's fun to watch him fight. But he's like that because he had a childhood where he got beaten out of him every day, and parents that hated him. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can go to a boxing ring. I guess it's ethical. Yeah, sure, it's ethical. And a strip club. I mean, I don't want to ban stripping; it exists. But let's recognize that these women are essentially Mike Tyson's out there in the ring. Right. You know, they've had their sexuality taken away from them in a sense. Right. Um, I mean, I'm getting a here. I'm talking about different concepts, but I guess my point is that I think the liberal world is realizing that, as I did, that it just doesn't add up. Right. And uh, I think the world is catching on. Now, it doesn't look like that if you check the internet, but that's because the only place that these liberal graduates, these liberal arts graduates have to go is the internet. So they're loud. Mm-hmm. And a lot of logic is seeping in. I was just at a conference in Palm Beach this weekend called Restoration. Right. And, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of old conservatives, and they're, they're really negative, and they're, they've given up. And I, I just kept saying, guys, the truth is seeping in. And the children on the information age, the really young kids, they don't believe all of this. And I also noticed it with abortion. Like, you have punks for the first time carrying pro-life signs, and you have bands like Five Foot 56 being... Be a man, don't be a quitter, uh, just because the child's within her. Right. And I, I think that uh, that it's changing. Right. So, yeah, just to, for, for one final question for, you know, people of, of sort of my age, I'm 25 years old, and there's a lot of people out there that, as you say, the pro-life movement is becoming much more diverse. There's a lot of different people fighting a lot of different things. And one of the things I've noticed talking to high school students is, is things that you're, you're referring to, which is that, you know, the sexual revolution has sort of run its course. And when you tell a kid whose you know, parents divorced when he was 10 um, that, you know, and, you know, when he was 14, he knocked a girl up, she had an abortion, that got wrecked. Like, you tell these kids they're being lied to, and they know pretty quickly that they have been. They believe it really quickly because they know that all this happiness they were promised never really materialized, and that all the sex that they've been having has completely lost the allure, and they've, they've almost broken sexuality to a certain degree. So what sort of, of, of encouragement would you give to people of a generation that are starting to realize that they got sold a really, really bad bill of goods? Well, I think that that's the beauty of the truth, is it seeps in, and uh, the divorce experiment didn't work. You know, the empowering single mothers experiment didn't work. And this whole idea that um, you can treat abortions like they're no big deal hasn't worked. Well, it's a traumatizing event. And I think women are starting to learn this. Right. That, ladies and gentlemen, was uh, Jonathan Van Meren, the communications director of the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, interviewing Gavin McGuinness, well-known comedian, television writer, and co-founder of Vice Magazine. We really hope you enjoyed this interview and some of the insights that we uh, really think that he could share on discovering that much of what the sexual revolution has taught us was a lie. I would really encourage you, if you enjoyed this interview, to go to unmaskingchoice.ca to our blog and, and take a look at other interviews we've done. We've had some really fascinating interviews with some really fascinating people in the past. So we hope that you'll, you'll, you'll take, take the time to, to look at a few of the other interviews and hopefully tune in again next week at 1.30 p.m. on Thursday to the Bridgehead to hear another fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for 
for being with us and have a great weekend.